Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Crazy Happy. In this series, we'll journey through Jesus' most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, and discover the keys to finding the deep happiness we all crave. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you'll leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Liquid Church. I'm Pastor Kyra. I want everybody here to give a big welcome to our live locations and everyone at Church Online. I'm so glad you guys could join us for our series, Crazy Happy. Man, we've been going verse by verse through Matthew 5, where Jesus actually outlined a keys to living a crazy happy life. We call them the Beatitudes or beautiful attitudes that Jesus says God blesses. And today, church, we came to the last Beatitude. Save the best for last. We made it, guys. And so I want to invite you to read in Matthew 5, verse 10. Uh, Jesus is actually saying these words, and I want all of us to read them out loud together, okay? God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, here's some Bible trivia for you. Do you guys know why this is the last beatitude? It's because Jesus is actually saying, if you live in the way that I have just described, you're gonna be persecuted. Like, think about it, church. I want you to imagine that you're living the kind of life where you're meek, you're humble, you're merciful, you live with integrity, you have a pure heart, you're a peacemaker, you know what's going to happen if you live that way? You're going to get persecuted, okay? And by persecution, I mean that you're going to experience hostility and mistreatment because of your faith. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you do all of these things right, you're going to get persecuted, and that should make you crazy happy. Meanwhile, I'm left thinking, okay, Jesus, that just sounds plain crazy. In fact, verse 11 actually goes on to say, God blesses you when people, what's the word, church? Mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. And here's the paradox, church. You guys ready? Jesus is actually saying, oh, you got mocked? Oh, you got persecuted? You got slandered? Well, guess what? Be happy about it. Be very happy. And then after that, my Puerto Rican Bible actually reads, Jesus estás loco. <laughs> I mean, why should I be happy about all of this? But here's the answer. Jesus is saying, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, when your faith comes under fire, when it's ridiculed, when it's put under pressure, when you suffer and you feel harassed because of it, you're blessed. Why? Because to be persecuted actually means that you're doing something right. It means you had a choice. For example, let's say you're at work and you know that your colleague is actually cooking the books. Okay, he's inflating the numbers. Do you report it? Or do you keep quiet? Let's say you're out with your girlfriends. One of them wants to move in with her boyfriend and you know she's a Christian. Do you address it? Or do you give in to the peer pressure of the group and say nothing? Whenever you choose to do what's right, 
you're making a conscious choice to honor God and be faithful to him. And when you're persecuted for making that right choice, God says, I'm going to bless you with enormous rewards in heaven. Now, I want you to take a look at 1 Peter. It says this, these troubles will prove that your faith is genuine. Just as gold is purified by fire and heat, so your faith which is far more precious than gold, must also be purified by fire so that it may endure. Then, and here's the reward, church, you will receive, what's the word? Praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. In other words, persecution brings about purification, which brings about your praise. You suffer for Jesus in this life, you get praise, glory, and honor in the next. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, I'm going to share with you guys four things that I want you to remember when your faith is placed under fire. And what I mean by that, like what I mean about placed under fire is, you guys ever had this, like, you go on the internet because you just went to church, you saw a crazy message that you loved, and you want to share it with the world. You post it on your, you know, page, and then all of a sudden, people come at you out of the woodwork, and they're like calling you an intolerant bigot, and you're like, I, I just wanted people to listen to this great and inspiring message. That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? And a message that I've titled, How to Handle Opposition to Your Faith. Now, first, we're going to do a little Q&A, okay? Who is the most persecuted religious group in the world? Is it Jews, Muslims, or Christians? Show of hands, how many of you would say it's Muslims? Okay, a few of you. How many of you would say it's Christians? How many of you would say it's Jews? The answer is Christians. Christians are actually the most persecuted religious group in the world. In fact, the World Watch list, which actually reports the top 50 countries where Christians are persecuted for following Jesus, reported in 2021 that every day 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Guys, let that sink in for a minute. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked, they're gone, they're burned to the ground. And every day, 12 Christians are arrested or imprisoned, and another five are actually abducted. In fact, all told, as of 2020, there are 340 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution. Now I realize, right, like this is very far away from Christianity in America. I get it. Like you and I, we may get mocked or we may get canceled on social media, but we're not really being physically attacked, I hope. But the reality is that as a church, we need to be aware of the daily persecution that's facing our brothers and sisters around the globe. And that's the first distinction that I want to make when it comes to the topic of Christian persecution. The difference between violent oppression and silent repression. Okay, oppression is prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment. It's actually the kind of persecution Christians face in different parts of the world. Like in North Korea, where a North Korean Christian was actually tied to a stake 
and he was executed in front of a thousand people at an outdoor market, what was his crime? What was his crime? You guys know what it is? Holding a Bible in public. Can you imagine? Just holding this Bible. If I was a continent away, I'd actually be tied to a stake. Or like Nigeria, where 990 Christians were abducted because of their faith in 2020. I mean, guys, I want you to imagine you're held hostage. You're taken from your home. You're taken from your family, displaced because you worship Jesus. Or Pakistan, where a thousand Christians were actually married to non-Christians against their will. Arranged marriages, there may be normal in that part of the world, but this is forced marriage to deconvert you. In fact, this past month in um, China, a new policy came into effect. Now, Chinese communist officials can actually remove all Bible apps and all Bibles in hard copy. They're no longer available to purchase online. Guys, this Bible that I'm holding here, I can't purchase if I live in China. And tragically, the COVID-19 pandemic, it, it's actually acted as an accelerator for religious persecution. Okay, people have had to hide their Christian identities to get food. They've been forced to convert to other religions. They've suffered increasing surveillance and censorship. All told, in 2020, religious freedom was actually violated in almost one-third of the world's countries, where two-thirds of the world's population lives. That's what violent oppression is. It's cruel and unjust treatment for a prolonged period of time that Christians suffer in over 162 countries. Now, can you imagine living that way? Like, guys, how would you feel if your son or your daughter was murdered last year or was abducted or forced to marry someone of a different faith all because they profess to follow Jesus? I know what that tragedy would do to me. It would actually dominate my every waking moment. So I need you to understand, the Lord of the universe, who is the father of each Christian martyr, he actually grieves for the death of his children. And because these men and women have chosen to put their faith first, Jesus says, God blesses you. They bless them. He blesses anyone who is persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And do you know what the Bible actually says about our responsibility? Like, what are we to do about our persecuted brothers and sisters? In Hebrews, we read this. The Bible actually commands us, remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, what about Christ followers in America. Like I heard, I hear all the time the word persecution to describe Christians here in America. But guys, the reality is we don't experience violent oppression like Christians around the world. Like no one kills us for our faith. We don't get abducted. We don't get thrown into jail. We're not detained. We can buy Bibles actually whenever we want. So I want you to understand Christians in America, they don't face violent oppression. What we experience is silent Repression. Okay, repression is the action of subduing someone or something by force. 
I want to give you some examples of what Christian repression looks like here in the United States. It's actually the teacher in New Jersey that got suspended. What was her crime? Abuse? Mm-mm. He gave a student a Bible. Or the football coach in Washington placed on leave. Why? Hit the referee, got into a fight? No. He dared to pray at the end of a game. Or the Marine who got court-martialed. Why? Did she engage in conduct on becoming an officer? No, guys. She pasted a Bible verse above her desk. It's accusing anti-abortion Christians of waging war on women. You see, we don't experience an ISIS-led genocide like the ones Christians in the Middle East are facing, but we experience the pressure to keep our mouths shut and not say what's true, to not stand up for Christ, to not be a public witness, to blend in and fit in and give in to the pressure to conform. So what are we to do when we feel the pressure to keep quiet and not stand for truth? Well, the first thing I want you to know is that opposition makes me more like Jesus. Church, you remember that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're called to be humble. We're called to live our lives in a posture of a beggar. And if you live like that, I guarantee you're going to take advantage of because that's not how the world operates. If you're a peacemaker, let's say, and you make the first move, you're going to get a punch in the face instead. Why? Because our culture actually says it's survival of the fittest, baby, not the meekest. If you live with integrity, people are going to reject you. They will. Why? Man, because you're going to come across as holier than thou, and no one can stand that. But Jesus says, you get to be my friend when you live in integrity. And that's why opposition makes me more like Jesus. Because the reality is, Jesus experienced incredible opposition, okay? I want to read to you from John 15. It says this, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Guys, Jesus suffered a lot of opposition. He was insulted. He was the object of gossip. He was accused of wanting to overthrow Rome, of taking Pilate's place. He was called a drunk, a glutton. And eventually, the mob actually ordered his crucifixion. And as Christians, we're actually called to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, to be humble, to be poor in spirit, pure in heart, peacemaker. And if you do that, if you start living like Jesus, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be treated like Jesus. And that's what Jesus told his disciples. Do you remember what I told you? Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they have listened to me, they would listen to you. So church, understand, when you face opposition, it actually means you're doing something right. Okay, it means you're being like Jesus. And just as Jesus' suffering led to an eternal glory, so will those who trust in him by faith experience glory on the other side. So I, here's what I want you to do. The next time that you feel pressure to actually praise moral choices, you know the Bible says are wrong. Or when your boss actually puts pressure on you to do something unethical, overbuild the client, they'll never know. Or the next time that you're standing with people in a group and they're actually talking trash about Christians 
and you feel pressure to remain silent, to conform, can I invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to help you stand on the truth? And then I want you to take hope from 1 Peter 4. It says this, if you're abused because of Christ, count yourself, what's the word, church? Fortunate. Why is that? Because it's the Spirit of God in you and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. In other words, church, when you are criticized, I want you to consider it a compliment. You say thank you. You know why? Because when you're judged and when you're ridiculed, it means people are noticing your faith. And if you've never been criticized by your faith, it means no one has noticed that you're a Christian and that's a problem. Jesus was criticized and attacked, and so will you. So the first thing I want you to remember in those moments is that opposition makes me more like Jesus. And the second thing is that opposition actually deepens my faith. Guys, do you know, opposition is actually one of the ways our church or our faith grows. Um, I know that many of you know, I grew up in Puerto Rico. And I went to an immersion school where I was taught by Wesleyan missionaries. And I remember my Bible teacher, he would always say to me, Kyra, if you and the devil aren't on a head-on collision course, you're probably running side by side. And at the time I was like, ah, I don't know what he means by that, but I get it now. Oh, I get it now, church. Because when you stand for God, the enemy actually stands against you. And that opposition strengthens and it deepens your faith you know, that's why one of the strongest believers in the world right now are those who are having their faith tested the most. In fact, when the World Watch List uh, was released its report with the list of the 50 countries where it is hardest to follow Jesus, I loved, I was deeply touched by the quote that the CEO of the organization said. I want to read it to you today. It says this, You might think that this list is all about oppression, but this list is really all about resilience. The numbers of God's people who are suffering should mean the church is dying, but it's actually the opposite. Christians are not losing their faith. That's not what's happening. They're in living color. We are seeing over there what God recorded in the prophet Isaiah. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Church, how many of you know God is the one who is holding his church together? Amen? It's incredible to read how Christians in persecution persevere and press on to the mark. Faith that has been deepened to spread the gospel, to connect with one another, to reflect deeply on their beliefs, and to impact the broader society. And I'll be honest with you, church, writing this message this week, I felt the Holy Spirit's conviction to actually deepen my faithfulness to Christ amidst the challenges and the oppositions that I face here, while simultaneously actually learning how to respond to opposition from my brothers and sisters in persecuted countries. I want to invite you to take a look. In the world today, one in eight Christians are discriminated against, oppressed, even attacked, just because they follow Jesus. They are desperate voices crying out in a dry land. When I became a Christian, my beliefs turned against me. I no longer belong. In China, the government installed facial recognition cameras in our sanctuary. 
That camera can gather the private data of our church members. They will intimidate them to prevent them from going to church. That means we know from this year's World Watch List that 340 million Christians live in places around the world where they are discriminated against or persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. That number is hard to imagine, hard to get your mind around, but we know that God is faithful. In the book of Isaiah, God tells his people, I will make new ways in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In midst of persecution, churches are growing more. Through the persecution, God is making the church grow. We are so united together like never before. We have a revival in our church, even in the severe persecution. We don't pray for God to take the hardship away. We pray he gives us the grace to stand. Isn't that incredible? That, my friends, is why opposition deepens your faith because it gives you the conviction and the belief that God is greater than anything that we are facing and anything that we will ever encounter, that he is with us in every moment of our pain when our faith is challenged and where we're under pressure. So the next time that you're faced with opposition, the next time that you're accused of being intolerant and you feel the need to defend yourself, I want you to use this as an opportunity to trust Jesus even more. That when you choose to do the right thing, you're going to receive his blessings. And that brings us to the third and, and thing that I want you to remember, which is don't be afraid. Everybody say afraid. I'm going to teach you a little Spanish. No tengas miedo. Everybody say miedo. <laughs> If opposition deepens your faith, church, you don't need to be afraid. Now, if I were a betting woman, which I'm not, but if I were, I would actually bet that no one here likes to be opposed because no one likes to face opposition. But Jesus promised us it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when we come face to face with opposition, Instead of feeling afraid, church, we need to respond with grace and love. Because fear, what actually does is it actually repra replaces our response from a love-based response to power-based. Think about it. Christians in America actually fear being an opposed minority. So what do we do? We often seek power. Because if we're going to be at odds with people, then it's probably best that we have the upper hand. Am I right? But guys, the sad truth is we constantly seek this control despite the fact that a Christianity that thrives with power, that is not a true Christianity, okay? Everything beautiful about our faith, everything that made me fall in love with Jesus is actually in opposition to the world's values because where the world actually lusts for power, the church embraces service. Where the world actually values the strong, the church gives deference to the weak. Where the world bows to the rich, the church actually values the poor. So instead of responding with fear, respond in love instead. Why? 
Because when you're on the receiving end of hostility based on your closeness to Christ, not only are you in the exact right place, in the center of God's plans and purposes for your life, but Christ is actually glorified in how you respond. So how do you get rid of the fear of opposition? That's where emotionally healthy spirituality comes into play. Because healthy people are not afraid of rejection. Okay, they don't need other people's approval. They know that they're actually loved by God. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, you suffer for doing what is right. You suffer for doing what is right at work, at home, in your family, wherever. And God will reward it. So don't be afraid and don't worry. Instead, worship Christ as what church Lord of your life. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Guys, those are the two choices that you can make when you feel pressured to be quiet about your faith in Christ. You can either worry or you can worship. You can panic or you can pray. You can focus on the problem, focus on the pressure, focus on the persecution, or somebody up in here will focus on praising God, amen? He says, turn your attention away from the pressure that you feel and turn it toward God. In fact, the Bible actually tells us when Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death, you know what we read? He looked into heaven. He worshiped instead of worried, even as they were throwing all those rocks that eventually killed him. So don't be surprised and don't be afraid. Worship instead of worry. And the last thing I want you to remember when your faith comes into opposition is to remember that your enemy is spiritual. I would add, not personal. Let me tell you what I mean by that, because I'll be honest, persecution feels deeply personal, am I right? But guys, the reality is the Bible says our real enemy is the devil. Okay, Revelations 12 actually calls the devil the accuser of the Christians. That's his job. His number one job, numero uno, is to oppose you, to put you down, to lie to you. So understand, when you face opposition, it's not really coming from people. It's not really coming from your coworkers that you can't stand. It's not really some other nation that you don't like or some other religion. It's not someone that just doesn't like you. The real source of the pressure that you feel when you face opposition is coming from Satan. Why? Because Satan hates God. So he hates anything that God has created. And what he hates most of all are God's children. He doesn't just hate God. He hates each and every one of you. Guys, you've heard that phrase, God loves you. And he has a good plan for your life. Well, guess what? Satan actually hates you, and he has a bad plan for your life. And because Satan can't hurt God, he tries to hurt you. Think about it. You're a parent. If you're a parent, the quickest way to hurt a parent is what? To hurt their kids. So there is an unseen spiritual battle going on all around you. And a lot of the times, in fact, I would say most of the time, people don't even know they're being used as a pawn of the enemy. You know how I know? that people are actually not aware they're the, what the real source of opposition is 
because the worst persecutor of the church, known as Saul of Tarsus, stopped his persecution after he met Jesus. And after that encounter, he not only stopped persecuting Christians, he actually became the writer of almost half of the New Testament. In fact, he's probably one of the most important people in Christianity after Jesus, and we know him today as the Apostle Paul. So understand, the real issue in opposition is spiritual warfare. It's why Ephesians actually says, we're not fighting against human beings, but against wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. The enemy knows he can attack someone who is perfect. So rather than attacking Jesus, what does he do? He attacks his wife, the bride of Christ, the church. That's us. That's me and you and everybody else who's sitting here today. So the important thing is people think he, he does that because he wants people to think the church is intolerant, that the church is out of date, that we're on the wrong side of history. But what does the Bible say you should do? Ah, 2 Timothy says this, stay away from stupid and senseless people, no, arguments. I would especially add on the internet, okay? Those only lead to trouble. God's servants must never quarrel. What's the translation, church? Don't get into heated arguments. Because as God's people, we're actually called to live differently. We are to be humble, meek, merciful, peacemakers. That's what the Bible says. So when you're under oppression, when you're in opposition, when people are looking at you strangely for what you believe, be kind to everyone. Be patient. Be humble when you correct people who oppose you. Because those people have been trapped by the devil, and he makes them obey him, but God may actually help them escape. So I want you to recognize the source of your opposition and then treat the opposition the way that Jesus did, which in 1 Peter says this, when they hurled their insults at him, when they called him a drunk, a liar, a glutton, Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he did what, church? He entrusted himself to God who judges justly. Now, I don't know about you, but if you insult me, if you threaten my kids, if you dare talk about my husband, te voy a decir una cosa, no te atrevas a hablar de mi marido, ni de mis hijos, ni de mi familia, porque me sale lo de boricua bien rápido. Sorry, church. That was my inner skunk. <laughs> Any other mama bears out there? Come on. You threaten my kids, I will cut you. But that's just me. <laughs> when my flesh actually flares up. But church, the spirit of Jesus actually teaches me something different. A 180, like a 180 instead of taking revenge, which is what my flesh wants, the Bible actually says. I'm going to read you this again in 1 Peter. It says, Jesus did not, what church? Retaliate. When he suffered, he made no, what church? Threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, who judges justly. And on the cross, when Jesus faced the ultimate opposition, do you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. People who belittle you, they don't know what they're doing. 
People who censure you, they don't know what they're doing. People who ridicule Jesus, who ridicule his church, Christianity, they don't know what they're doing. So, Father, forgive them. When we understand that your enemy is spiritual, not personal, we're actually able to be Christ-like in our response. So, church, everything we've talked about today only applies if you're living your life in such a way that if Christianity were made illegal in the United States, there would be enough evidence to convict you. That instead of keeping your head down and saying nothing, you actually stand on truth. That when your brothers and your sisters around the world experience the violent oppression of standing at the point of a firing squad because they refuse to denounce Christ, here in America, you're actually willing to stand against the silent repression of our culture as a way to stay faithful to Christ. That's what Jesus tells his followers. There's a price to follow me, to live out the upside-down values of the kingdom. And when we do, the entire Beatitudes are summed up in this. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted prophets who were before you church what's the reward it's eternal life with jesus because when we respond in fear or deny jesus because we don't want to be persecuted do you know what jesus says Jesus says in Matthew, if you are ashamed of me and my commands, if you're ashamed of my commands about life, about sexuality, about finances, about reconciliation, about race, if you're ashamed of me and my commands in this godless and sinful generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come back in glory with the holy angels. But for those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. God is looking for men and women who are actually full of bold faith. And maybe today you're sitting here and you're feeling a little discomfort, feeling a little tension. Maybe you feel even guilty. You know what? That's actually one of the ways in which we participate in the sufferings of our brothers and our sisters worldwide. We stand in solidarity with them. Because when Jesus says one part of the body hurts, all people hurt. And guys, I'll be, I have to share with you, this week I was writing this message. On Tuesday night, I felt a deep conviction of the Holy Spirit that our family needed to support persecuted Christians. And today I actually want all of us to support them. Okay, I'm not asking you for money. That's not what this is about. Because you know what they need? What they want the most are prayers. So I thought, to end our time together, that we would actually conclude our crazy happy series today by praying. Not for God to take their persecution away, but for God to give them the grace to stand firm. So to do that, we're going to stand in solidarity right now with our brothers and sisters across the sea 
who are actually experiencing enormous trials and sufferings for the sake of Christ. So if you're in solidarity with your Christian sisters and brothers, can you stand right now at all of our locations? If you're home, stand up right now because we're going to pray. And so, Father, I pray right now. Lord, I pray for Christians in North Korea who are experiencing incredible trials and tribulations. I thank you first that they're persevering to the good mark, that they're pressing on and they're staying faithful to the call of Jesus in their lives. Lord, I pray you would cover them with the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray for Christians in Nigeria. I pray against the evil of Boko Haram. Lord, we ask that all of your children living in that region, men, women, children, would know first and foremost how deeply loved they are, that they have not been forsaken. We thank you for the example that they provide us, and we pray right now that your spirit would cover them with your love and with your protection. Lord, we pray for vindicated Christians in China. We pray that the church there would continue to experience the revival, Lord, that your spirit would lit the flame, would stoke the passion to continue to share the gospel amidst incredible surveillance, censorship, and op opposition, Lord. We thank you. We thank you today that we can stand in solidarity with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. We are all bought for by the blood of Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that you would enlarge our hearts here in the West for our brothers and sisters, that we would pray for them constantly, ceasingly, without ceasing, Lord, that we would ask your son Jesus to continue to go ahead of them to forge a way, Lord, where they would experience your goodness, where they would know that they have not been forgotten, that they are seen both by you and by his, your, their family, Lord, which is us. And so we just pray all this, Lord, in your son's name. We thank you for the opportunity today to pray for our sisters and brothers. And we love you, Lord, and pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.